and Kettle of Fish, actor Dan Gershman stops by to talk about being nerdy before nerdy was cool. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Master Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. I love that jingle every time I hear it more and more. Welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two hours of political foreplay. Ah, uh, Fern, D, are you guys ready to get fishy with it? Fish sound effects. Now, uh, i got to find a fish sound effect because it just... It just it needs to be there. Speaking of fish, my cousin in Pittsburgh today had put up a picture of the Pittsburgh, the traditional Pittsburgh fish sandwich, and it's gigantic. It looks like a piece of whale. Oh, yeah. And then so I put a picture of, of a fish sandwich I got a few years ago in Pittsburgh, and I was like, yes, that sets the pace for today. All right, coming up is Dan Frischman. I didn't do him justice when I only mentioned he was from Head of the Class in Keenan Pill. He also does magic. He does stand-up. He is a writer. He is an author. He is across the spectrum. I am so honored to have Dan Frischman here today. So with no further ado, Dan, how you doing? Good, Nick. How are you doing? How are you? We are doing great, sir. I want to thank you so much for calling in today. I grew up a big oh, fan of Head of the Class, Seen in and Kill, but especially Head of the Class. Did my due diligence, did my research. I saw the incredible list of things you're involved in. Writing, acting, directing, stand-up, even magic, music. I want to start with this question. We've yeah. got social media. We've got YouTube. Um, there's so much white noise out there. You've really got to stand out. Do you feel like entertainment's changed to a point where no matter how talented you are, you can't just be a one-trick pony. You've got to have your hands into several different pies, as it were, and just have a multitude of different talents out there and different kinds of um, content out there for everyone. Well, you are spot on with that because it's all about content now, pretty much. And uh, if, if you can be uh, lucky uh, and hit a show or two like I did, uh, then that will last for a few years. But then what? So uh, if you're just sitting around waiting for the next phone call, uh, well, then you're really shit out of luck because <laughs> it usually doesn't happen that way. Um, so that's why I you know, uh, really need to work on other skills. I went, uh, even after I was on head of the class and during Keenan and Kel on Nickelodeon, I was going to acting school and going to uh, taking writing courses uh, and honing my skills in that. So um, in coming up with a, a novel that I ended up uh, – self-publishing and uh, uh, getting into uh, Barnes & Noble, then doing, uh, and I branched out into uh, directing, uh, directing for Nickelodeon, uh, a show called Sam and Cat uh, that ended last year. So, yes, you really, I believe, have to be ready for everything. Uh, choosing one place to go is, uh, is, is really not going to serve you as well as you think. So is this a smart career decision for you, or is this more like creative ADD? You have so much creativity that you want to explore all these different forms of entertainment, or is a lot of it business-based where you're like, I need to go and try something different and put out a play or write a book and do things to make myself more viable? Uh, it's it, For me, it's a lack of acumen in any, any other form of anything. <laughs> so... It was a uh, process of elimination 
Uh, my, my brother Gary always said, you know, it's a good thing you made it in showbiz because there's nothing else you would have been good at. <laughs> so right I, on. I don't know that I don't know that that's true necessarily, but that was always always has been my interest. So everything I do falls under the uh, umbrella of uh, telling the story. So as an actor, you're uh, a, you know a cog in the wheel telling the story, and as a director, you're you're uh, the puppeteer really. Uh, as a writer, you're the first one to know that story. <laughs> It's just in your head and putting it out there for other people to work on. So I, 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 it's almost like storytelling is what I do. It's like the one specific thing that I do. Even when I was a, uh, a magician at kids' parties, I started out when I was eight years old in New Jersey uh, as the great Houdani. Uh, right. Being a, good magi- you're, you're being a good magician, doing a magic trick, uh, is telling the story uh, and, and entertaining the, you know, the audience. Some magicians are just kind of like, hey, look at this coin, it's gone. That, you know, that to me is more just trying to trick your audience. Uh, I think the best magicians are the ones who actually have a story to tell and want to tell it in an entertaining way. Nice. That is a very interesting point. Let me move on to this then, because this kind of bleeds into that. Taking any financial aspect out of it, do you have something that you enjoy more than the other? In other words, do you enjoy acting more? Do you enjoy magic more? Do you enjoy stand-up more? Or is it whatever creative passion hits you at that moment, and they kind of all balance themselves out? You know, it's it's the latter. It's really whatever is going on at the moment. Like right now, as I mentioned, directed for for television and short films. But right now I'm, uh, I wrote and uh, directed a play that just opened last night in Los Angeles. It's called uh, Sex, Faith, and Jason Wexler. Uh, it's an autobiographical play that I wrote uh, 15 years ago uh, and then have now updated. Uh, I actually have a small part in it, but the play is about a nice Jewish boy who falls for a devout Catholic woman whose father is a deacon with the church. And, of course, the problems and comedy inherent. But, you know, it's in a small theater, literally like... Uh, 56 seat theater and there's two different casts and no one gets paid uh and it's most in for right now it's the most exciting thing i've ever done <laughs> because because it is right now and it and it completely envelops my life and just listening to the laughter of the audience is what feeds me and that's what's uh, that's what's going on right now uh, if and that's wants amazing that, to me yeah. that you could shift gears like that. Is um, is there a separation when you're going from this venue of entertainment to this venue where you can't bring your baggage in, or is everything you learned from writing a children's book or from being on head of the class is that only building? to your skills to be able to go out and write and direct a play? Is it all interwoven, or do you kind of keep it all compartmentalized where it's all its own different entity and nothing from the other bleeds into it? Uh, I'm sure they all bleed together. Um, even a thing like having directed uh, for television uh, probably feeds feeds right into directing this play. And, and uh, being when you're directing television, there's so much more involved than just the actors and the scenery. You're, you are also directing uh, cameras and learning a lot of technical aspects of television and, uh, uh, and and needing to be in control. Uh, and so that, kind of just, just the actual control idea, while letting people be creative and have their own space, kind of what I learned, which, which, which is kind of what I brought to the table for the, for the theater. So yeah, I, I think it all bleeds together. Even the writing the, uh, the book, which was really a, a book for teen audiences, pre-teens and teens, kind of fed the writing for this play, which is really an adult play. So I think, yeah, right. I think you've got a good point there. They all do bleed together. All right. So the play, Sex, Faith, and Jason Wexler, how long is this play running? Do you feel like you're getting your voice out through this 
I do feel that it, it's uh, it's really gratifying to uh, just take a, 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 a bit of my life, really from 18 years ago, and put it out there for two hours and have people uh, laugh, enjoy it, and uh, and they tell me talk about it for a while afterward. Uh, we have a website actually. Uh, people can at least look at the actors and, and find out a little more about it. It's called the website is three words sexfaithplay.com sexfaithplay.com. There you would see all the. Uh, you see what's going on with it. Is it harder to write something that personal and to be involved in something that personal? Is it harder to do yeah. that than it is to just be handed lines and say, all right, create this person, get in this person's mind space? I would say because you're really, really starting from scratch. Uh, you know, you're starting with a, a, a blank page. Uh, and since I actually lived this relationship and it, it did not end uh, uh, happily, I'm, I'm friends with the the women involved at, at, at this point. But, you know, at the time it was uh, you know, very dramatic and sad. It was hard to write at the time I wrote it, but I I just started putting, I was taking an acting class. And uh, and again, this was after I'd already been on television. I was, for the creative person to be continuing your education and being part of a theatrical community is really key in, in uh, keeping yourself uh, creatively lubricated, if you will. Um, so I, very, I wrote the play very slowly. I would just write a scene and put it up in the acting class and have other people play the part so I could watch them do it. And it came together over, really over a period of two years. And it really helped me um, uh, learn about what that relationship was. And so it was very, um, it was an educational experience as well as, as a gratifying one creative. Imagine in, um, doing a play, especially in a smaller venue, as opposed to doing a big show in front of a giant audience and cameras going. I imagine that the energy is like more two-way energy. And it is a lot. You feel a lot more connection with the audience, right? But, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's why. That's what really makes it so fun. There's nothing. There is no separation. There's not. There's not. You're not sitting between the cameras and the studio audience or the yourself and a, a TV screen. It is very immediate. You know, and I can make changes to the script. Little changes, like right before the show, if something if I want to. So. Uh, it's, it's very wow. immediate. Yeah. So a lot of creative freedom then is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And oddly enough, it becomes a lot. Doing a teeny little play like this in a teeny little theater becomes a tremendous load of work because everyone's just volunteering their time, and uh, so I find myself directing and then moving furniture and uh, painting, and I mean, everybody, I, I get a lot of help. It's my play, and so I'm kind of the lead uh, puppeteer, if you will putting it all together so it is uh non-stop and yeah and and, and, and and fun too at the same time all right let me shift gears here because where i primarily knew you from was head of the class and i found yeah. out a couple things i didn't know about that i watched the getting to know dan video one thing i didn't know is you were 27 and i believe you were 32 when the show ended that is amazing <laughs> is to me i would have never in a million years, guessed you were 27 going into that role. That's true, and uh, I when I auditioned for that part, I mean, playing a 16-year-old high school student uh, named Arvid, you know, nerdy character, and I had no compunction, no no problem about lying about my age when I walked into the audition, uh, and that was almost like the first question they asked me, "How old are you?" I said, I, and I said I was 22, even though even though the part was for a 16-year-old. I figured they would buy 22 for me. I always had kind of a baby face, which didn't help me in college with the women, but it finally, it finally <laughs> paid off with the TV show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so it was certainly by the time I was 32, it was time to exit high school. Well, let me ask you this. Is it really hard to be part of such a huge ensemble class? Are people kind of like trying to get more airtime, as it were, or trying to get more storylines that involve them exclusively? Or were was everybody yeah. just so happy to be a part of that? It was like, hey, I don't care if I have five lines or 50 lines yeah. 
I'm I'm just so happy to be part of this thing because this is such an amazing show. Yes, I think at first everyone's just really uh, feels really lucky to have a job in show business whatsoever, where you know, you know, you know, next week we are your you know your next paycheck is coming from, uh, and 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 then just getting up and going to the set and is really just an exciting, wonderful experience. But then after a while, yes, you you are looking for the scripts to uh, hopefully feature you a little more, and. Uh, and I think, you know, some of the people who weren't as featured might have gotten, been a little frustrated. But at the same time, there is that part about having a steady having a steady job. So that's nice, too. And I was told by the writers that they loved writing for my character, Arvid, because uh, he had very few limitations and there were many places to take him. Uh, and so, yeah, there, so it was a little of both. A little like, yes, eventually everybody wants to have their moment in the sun. But at the same time, even if you're not getting it that week, you're, you feel lucky to be working in the industry. Is there a fear after doing a show for five years? I know there's got to be a fear of being typecast, right? After being recognized as Arvid and then going out into the world trying to look for new work, was there a lot of apprehension there of being typecast and only being able to get the more nerdy roles? Uh, no, I, I was more I was uh, more nervous about being not cast than being typecast. I mean, you know, when you think about it, look at uh, Eddie Murphy's early career. He's always just playing Eddie Murphy or uh, or John Wayne always played John Wayne. They weren't so worried about getting, uh, you know, getting typecast. Uh, Rick Moranis, the, you know, one of the, one of the big movie nerds uh, would always play Rick Moranis <laughs> as a nerd. And uh, so, and he always seemed to enjoy it. So it wasn't so much a, um, a case of being nervous about being typecast, but uh, not getting work at all. So when I, I landed Keenan and Kel you know, a couple of years later, uh, it was a similar character. It was kind of in the same vein, more goofy than nerdy, I guess. But, you know, you're always just happy to have a job in the business. And that show still holds up. I played it for my daughter. I found an episode on YouTube, and I played it yeah. on the Roku box for my daughter and her friend. And they were both 10, and she loved it. And I was like, this is still oh. translating. It was the one where there was a a robber going around robbing stores and um, Keenan had knocked oh, yeah. him out the door and they were just yeah. laughing. Yeah, and like, yeah, they were just yeah. laughing and loving it. And I think it's great. Oh, great. And, and you can't really find head of the class out there. I found a couple clips and I'm like, this still holds yeah. up too. And that's gotta be amazing yeah. to be part of something that 50 years from now, somebody's going to go find these shows and see your performance. Yeah. And there's something fundamentally human about them. Where you'll still be able to relate, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and it, you know, especially they, they run Keenan and Cal on occasion, especially because Keenan Thompson, uh, one of the two stars, is uh, now famous on Saturday Night Live. Um, they will be playing those even more, I think. For a little while after it ended, uh, it's the WB uh, channel, I understand, was uh, interested in continuing it, but I think that that just didn't that just kind of petered out for some reason. But yeah, it's it is kind of uh, I, I I love it when. Uh, a parent and a teen will both recognize me, but from the different shows. Like the parent was, uh, you know, grew up on head of the class, and the twenty-something, teen or twenty-something, grew up watching uh, Keenan and Kel, and they both. And, and the, the parent will say, "Well, why do you know him?" Because <laughs> they hadn't seen Keenan and Kel, and the, right, and the teen right. will say, "Well, why do you know him?" So that's kind of fun to. Uh, uh, now I, I have to appeal to a new generation. So perhaps uh, another show will come along. Who knows? Well, I mean, you're doing so much. Once again, I have respect for anybody who can just juggle so many different creative balls in the air, and you've got so much going on. I've listened to um, a music clip that you put out there. I've looked at the Amazon for the book, 
and kind of looked oh, at yeah. that. And there's just so much. And I, like my mind is blown that you can just keep all this creativity going and, and orchestrated in so many different venues. And that's got to be something. We talked about that earlier. That's got to be something that is very beneficial to your career. So I think you'll be with us for a very long time. I don't think there's any fear well, of Dan Frischman dwindling out anytime soon. <laughs> well, thanks. And I, I, and I would tell your uh, listeners that uh, my if you go to my website, where the book is bookaboutmagicians.com. If you go to bookaboutmagicians.com, you'll see my book there. Absolutely, and I know I'm going to pick a copy up for my daughter, too, because now she knows you from Keenan and Kel, and that's something she can wrap her brain around. Let me touch on this one oh, last nice. thing, because I've, yeah. I've, I love this article that you wrote. It's called The Sitcom Devil Giveth and Taketh Away. It was from the Los Angeles yes. Times. You did a, yeah. and you wrote about in there how you were recognized as Arvid, and it was kind of not in the most flattering way. And if you yeah. could just touch on that real quick, because the question running through my mind was, is this something that irritates you, or are you just happy to be recognized regardless? And are you still getting recognized as Arvid, or has there been enough distance from that where that's not really something that happens anymore? Uh, it happens very seldom. Now people kind of look at me and go, you know, did we go to high school together? Uh, right. But but you know, but also in, in uh I live in Los Angeles, so uh if people recognize me, you know, in the supermarket, well, you know, who cares because uh, you know, there'll be a much bigger name uh in the produce aisle. So um uh I I never felt I always felt that being recognized was more just a novelty and and kind of fun, but not uh, certainly not anything that uh made me feel um you know, superior in any way to any other living being, uh, it just it just kind of a fun idea. Uh, so that when that ended, uh, I was old and I was old enough when I began head of the class to know that this is not something that is going to last necessarily. Um, I was you know certainly prepared for it, and I, if I get recognized, fine, and if not, that's absolutely fine with me too. I can you know I, I enjoy just doing my writing and, and directing uh, and just uh, being creative. So that's you know the, the, the recognition part is really not part of the part of the game for me. Well, good. I think that's a very um, pure way of looking at it, and maybe that's why you have been so successful all these years. Okay, we got to wrap yeah. things up here. Dan, please tell everybody Next. where they can find you and um, all the different places and what you're working on. Give us the whole load down here. Okay, well, first of all, I'll tell you about my uh, – I have it all on my website, danfrishman.com, and that's Frishman with a C, F-R-I-S-C-H-M-A-N. Uh, and I, I have a, a book out, the play uh, that I'm in and wrote and directed just uh, opened in Los Angeles last night. And that's the, that's exciting for me. And uh, uh, I'll be directing uh, some more shows for Nickelodeon. And uh, and then uh, who knows if lightning strikes and I'll be on another show. All righty. I wish you all the best. Thank you. I know you had things going on today, so I want to thank you for taking time out and spending your afternoon, at least 20 minutes of it, with us. I got a lot out of this. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. All righty. All right, guys. That is all for Kettle of Fish this episode. We will catch you next Sunday. Goodbye, guys. You know, whenever I reminisce, I always wonder about the same things. Whatever happened to Ziegfeld girls? Whatever happened to Dukes and Earls? And oh, baby, when you gave me a twirl, whatever happened to me? 
Whatever happened to fireflies? Whatever happened to clear blue skies? But you, baby, when I looked in your eyes, whatever happened to me? Well, it's been so very long since I looked love in the face, and I thought I'd never want to feel that woman safe and soft embrace. Whatever happened to Rudy's croon? Whatever happened to Lorna? Whatever happened to rhubarb pies? Whatever happened to polka dot ties? 